Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die Podcast, brought to you by Ohana Fest down in Dana Point, and brought to you by Live Nation, bringing you concerts all over the world. It all begins with getting off drugs, people. Let's go out and live life. Get sober, get the right treatment for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Mike. That's what we want to do, or at least die sober. Hey, man. Thank you, Bob. Stop yeah, dying, Chuck. Oh, well, there's a different Chuck in town tonight. Yeah. Chucky Weiss. Yeah. I'm, playing, I'm playing Ricky Lee Jones's album and reading Ricky Lee Jones's book right now because the great Chucky Weiss just died. And we're, yeah, we're going to put out just a little. Uh, yeah. We're putting this podcast out, Mike. There's a line in the song that says, How come you don't come and PIP with me? What does PIP mean? What does PIP mean? I've looked it up everywhere. We got to call Ricky V. Jones. I know we're his daughter. We should call her. What does PIP mean? I I just have always loved Ricky V. Jones, and that's how the first I ever heard of a guy named Chucky Weiss. And I'll turn it off now, but it says, How come you don't come and PIP with me? That sounds sexual in nature. How come you don't come PIP with IP. me? PIP, if anybody knows. But anyways, the great Chucky Weiss passed away, and he had a profound effect on anyone who met him. And this is the way to go. I, I, uh, Elvis knows Chucky Weiss is the weird old man that walks by our house every day. So... <laughs> So Chuck lived in Hollywood on Argyle and Franklin for probably 40 years, I think. And his morning walking route to stay in shape was up Argyle and around through Beechwood Canyon. And somehow he came down our street. And, and that's when I was living in a, my own sober living back in my divorcing days of the early 2010s. Um, and so the, house I lived in was in Beechwood Canyon. It was a sober living I had. And then I had somebody come and cut it in half, like in War of the Roses or whatever, put this wall in so that I could live in this one bedroom <laughs> apartment area. <laughs> and, and, and then the rest was sober living. And that's how I was able to pay my child support and, and alimony. So the garage, Elvis had no place and to play. And that right there is junkie <laughs> ingenuity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is. So Elvis had no place to play. It was like one, two rooms, a big bedroom with a bathroom and then this little area. And so I converted the garage into his play area. It literally got carpeting and paint and painted the walls and and had carpeting in it and acted like that's your playroom but the garage door had to be open so eric could come in so every morning chuck would walk by and then we'd talk and and elvis knows that little weird old man that used to walk by our house that was chucky weiss and i got to know him so well the last four or five years of his life amazing character they don't make people like this anymore well, every now, time you met him there was a story going on every hey did you hear about yeah blah 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 and it was just i don't know half of it was not true or exaggerated but it's just <laughs> that special lift in the morning and that's been my thing telling people like there's nothing the, the mediocrity of modern society and and social media it doesn't there's no storytelling in it there's just 
facts and gossip and mean-spiritedness. There's no, there's no art of storytelling. And from Chucky, I met Tom Waits, obviously, and a lot of people know. But, but with, uh, with Chucky White, there was that whole kind of group for us that were like kind of the elders, the, the top Jimmy, top Jimmy, Chucky Weiss, which was Jimmy Wood, uh, you know, as far as our recovery program, fast Freddy, oh, fast Freddy, fast Freddy, fast Freddy, Wood, Peter Case, Peter Case, yeah, Peter Case, all of those, all of those Chucky Weiss just kind of that was that early, early AA. Well, I mean, but. They were the, well, way I always look at it is I wasn't going to follow lame, boring lawyers into AA. Exactly. I was going to follow exciting, vibrant, storytelling, interesting people that I was attracted to at the bars. And when the migration happened ahead of us, like obviously there was a time where Chucky e. Wise and Tom Waits were drunk every day and then they weren't. And so... I was following them into the bars. So then you could follow them into AA. That's what happened in Hollywood in the eighties that and early nineties, that magical time of sobriety in Los Angeles was all the people that were cool. I mean, you can name, you don't want to out them like, in a, you know, but Uh, all the people that were cool. Well, (laughs) some of them died now, Doug Figer, you know, anybody can say what they want. One of the kindest people I've ever met went yeah. out of his way for me. So kind, so thoughtful. And, and like my Sharona too, like, yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> and people from the heartbreakers that, that were so kind and so thoughtful and old rock and roll musicians from the seventies and people from wings and, and, and the Beatles, people from the Beatles are sober. And that is what attracts you to AA. Elton John is very outspoken about his sobriety. So there's all these musicians in the 80s and, and 90s got sober. And it was attractive to all young people. That no longer exists either anymore. Young people don't seem to want to migrate into where all the interesting, cool people are. I, I don't know why, because... There's no differentiator of interesting, cool people. But I don't want to get away from Chucky, Got it. Ricky Lee Jones, Tom Waits, how profound an effect they had on my life, especially Ricky Lee Jones. She, I saw her in 1979 at the Roxy, right when the album with Chucky's in Love came out. She showed you what, that you could be cool and popular. I think she was the first artist that there was no you know, saying, you know, oh, this woman's a sellout. This woman's full of shit. This woman's, you know, not punk rock. This woman was fucking punk rock. And she had the number one album in America and she won five Grammys and her boyfriend was Tom Waits. They don't, they, there's never going to be an era like that. And her hit song is about Tom Waits, best friend being in love with her. That's right. the songwriting that I love. You know what I mean? The song they, Chucky's they in Love. The Hollywood Tropicana Motel. And Chucky, the thing about it is Chucky hated this fucking song. He fucking hated it. I would always sing it to him. Chucky's <laughs> in love. <laughs> He'd be like, why do you say that? Why are you talking to that? Don't sing that song. So, so that 
yeah, they're the the uh, this is the thing that sobriety has the effect that strangers or acquaintances or people you just see from across the room can have on your life. That's what's missing now. That's what's missing through social media. The person isn't actually there. It's just a figment of your digital imagination. These people were real. Tom Waits is a real human being. Chucky Weiss was a real human being. Ricky Lee Jones is a real human being. Fast Freddy is a real human being. And they're right there. And you can talk to them. And you can learn from how they walk. You can learn from how they have friendships, how they greet each other. Young people are not seeing this. And I studied these people. You know, when I first came to Hollywood, Tomato De Plenty, the singer of the Screamers, um, they would always make up names for you. Like, and, and people would have different names for you. You know, all these characters, Top Jimmy, Chucky Wise, Tomato De Plenty. Um, Top Jimmy called me Mr. Jones. Chucky Wise called me Bubba. Like, cause he won't say Bob or something. Uh, 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 and, and Tomato De Plenty called me Eve Harrington. And I didn't even know who Eve Harrington was. And I was assuming and, Eve Harrington was a girl. And I call you Bucky. <laughs> Buckskin. Buckskin. <laughs> right. <laughs> and there's Flea and Antoine the Swan and all these different names. And, and so I asked Tomato, like, why do you call me Eve Harrington? And he goes, you need to see the movie all about Eve. So then immediately I go and try to find and see where this movie all about Eve. And I, you have to go to a movie theater to see it. There's no videos <laughs> in 1983. It's playing at the new Beverly theater. I go see this movie called all about Eve with Betty Davis. And I watch it and I realize what he's saying about me. This is in 1984. He's saying that I'm copying and, and soaking up all these people. That's what Eve Harrington in the movie does. She just all of a sudden pops up in the middle of all these, these people's lives and then starts assembling herself with little parts of them. It was the most profound thing in the world. I saw in the movie theater that that's what I'm doing. I didn't know that that's what I'm doing. And by the way, Eve Harrington's kind of a sociopath, but besides that, she's taking little pieces of everybody around in, in Broadway and all these actors and writers and whatever. And tomato was right. He had known me for like three weeks. And he said, he started calling me Eve Harrington. And I took a little bit of him, a little bit of Chucky Weiss, a little bit of top, a lot of top Jimmy, you know, and a little bit of Ricky Lee Jones's songwriting and it assembled me. <laughs> and that's, that's an, that's an honest thing to say. I could say that at 60, I could never say that at 35, yeah. but that's what I did. And that's what tomato to plenty knew I was doing. Chucky Weiss was at the center of so many things in Hollywood for 50 years, 40 years. The reason why the Viper room is the Viper room is because of Chucky Weiss. Chucky Weiss was part owner of the Viper room. He's the one that convinced Johnny to talk to filthy McNasty or the guy that owned it and put in a club. Cause Johnny had said, I want to have a clubhouse for all my friends. Chucky Weiss was the catalyst for the Viper well, now, room. Now, do you think that it was because Chucky Weiss just had that residency at the central at that same exact location that maybe there was. Oh yeah. Bit, it was called the, it's called the central. Bit of I forget. <laughs> 
Yeah, it was essential. He had a, he had a regular good with the goddamn liars, right? Yeah, but uh, I always I always call it filthy McNasties. It was always filthy McNasties to me. What a great name for a but bar. But do you think it was part of his like, oh, I don't want to have to change venues, you know, I'll just start it. <laughs> I think he was trying to make some money myself. Yeah. Like. <laughs> but amazing. But and and that's another thing, residencies that Tom Waits had re- had residencies. Chucky Weiss had him, Fast Freddy and Lee Precisions had him. Top Jimmy played every Monday night at the Cathay de Grand for like eight years. Yeah. And and that that world that I popped into in 1980 or 81, that it's just now Jimmy's gone. Now Chucky's gone. It, it, it's just weird. Like you you get, I had this sense a couple last year, my oldest sister died. She's the last family member of mine. All three of my sisters are dead and my parents are dead. And when your final sibling goes, you go, next up is me. <laughs> next up yeah. is me. Right? Yeah, exactly. And, and so it's just so crazy. So in 1994, I lived next door to Chucky Weiss. And I was sober when I moved in and I wasn't sober for long. And he never stopped talking to me and he never stopped loving me. He never mentioned that I was high. It was a, a and what was it, he working? Was he working on that, that album? Extremely cool. I think that I don't know. I was so consumed with when the drug man's Oldsmobile was going to be pulling up Argyle <laughs> Avenue. <laughs> no, and that's what, and spider lived in that building too. And spider would relapse. So me and spider were using together. A friend who will remain nameless, who's uh, uh, sober now, lived in that building. And me and my ex-girlfriend, Max, lived in that building. Mike Starr from Alice in Chains lived across the street in a building with his dad. And uh, Rodney, Rodney, a friend of mine, and his girlfriend, Mike's sister, lived on the other building. So there was this street, Argyle above Franklin, where there was like nine junkies in within three apartment buildings and we all had the same drug dealer. So you would walk out in the street. This is, and look, I would just stand in the street waiting for that big Oldsmobile to come driving up. And I'd see Mike and his dad across the street. And I'd walk over and say, are you waiting for John? And they'd say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, I'd say, did you, what time did you call him? And they said, oh, hours ago. And I said, oh, I called him like 40 minutes ago. So then we would all sit. And then this woman that, I know lived in the building south of mine. She would walk out and I go, You waiting for John? And we would all be out in the street waiting <laughs> for this one drug dealer. And Don't Chucky leave. would come walking out, and Chucky would come walking out and just waved everybody and you know, all hunched over. He kind of had this weird, he kind of was like Barney oh. Rubble, kind of like oh, he, yeah. I don't know, his so arms flat. like yeah, yeah so and, and so he'd walk out, he'd socialize with everyone, say hello, act like nothing was wrong. He got four junkies in the street waiting for a heroin <laughs> dealer. And Chuck would just walk down and have breakfast. Yeah. And uh, and he was just that presence of sobriety for 30 years of my life, I think. I mean, when did he get sober? Do you even know? I'm not sure. Must have been in the 80s, early 80s. Well, I mean, I know, I know um uh, uh, that Fast Freddy has 40 years. 40 years. Holy God. Some so that must be around that time. Years. Yeah. So it must be around that time. Yeah. yeah. So, and, uh, you know, and Chuck was just great. So then 
Tom Waits was having some problems and was living with Chucky just for a week. Um, about this is after I got sober, so '96. And I'm walking up Argyle, and Tom Waits walking down the street, and I hadn't seen him in a couple of years. And I was like, Tom, what are you doing? And he goes, oh, I'm going to school. And I was like, well, School? He's walking down the street right from Chucky's house. And I said, what are you going to school for what? And I figured he's lecturing somewhere about musical composition or something. He goes, I'm going to welding school. <laughs> and I was like, come on. <laughs> and then Chucky comes out and he's walking with him. And I, I go, what do you get? Where are you guys going? And, and uh, Chuck's like, I'm going to eat. He's going to school. And I was like, you're not going to welding school. And we're standing at the light at Argyle and Franklin. And I go, Tom, you're not going to welding school. He goes, yep, I'm chucking it all. I fucked music. I'm getting into welding. And so then I said, <laughs> so, then, so then he walked across Franklin. Chucky's walking up Franklin to go to the 101 diner or whatever. And I go, come on, what is, is he, is he going to be an artist? Is he going to like what, learn how to weld big, huge art things? Cause you can imagine if Tom Waits becomes a welder, yeah. he's going to weld these big monstrosities of metal and call it art. I figured. Yeah. And Chuck goes, no, he's serious about, he wants to work at a muffler shop. And, <laughs> and I'm just in disbelief. And I walk to my car and I'm just like, you just have these interactions with these guys. Now they, Tom Waits was not going to welding school that morning. I promise you, I know in my heart of heart, but that's just the games they played with you and they yeah. could play off each other. Like Chuck's like, no, yeah, he wants to work in a muffler shop. <laughs> like what? He's the greatest songwriter in America. He's not going to work in a welding shop, but part of you believes it. Like maybe he is working in a welding shop. So, so this is what we need more of in our society. I just, What's funny is I try to be like them. Like I said, I try to model after them or whatever. You, you joke like that with a millennial. They don't know what you're talking about. They don't even catch on that it's a joke or it's funny or, or that, you, you know, that you're making fun of uh, societal norms. They, there's just no sense of irony or joking around or whatever. There's just everything's always so serious. So when I've joked around, like if I go to Aloe and see somebody and they say, what have you been doing? I said, well, I, I went to China on a slow boat. Just, you know, those big freighters that go out there and bring furniture back and forth. So I've been gone for like a month. They just look at you like, oh, that's mm -hmm. nice. You know what I mean? They don't even, yeah. they don't even catch on. So you're yeah. trying to be funny. So. Uh, <clears throat> and maybe maybe I'm just not Chucky and 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 Mike and uh, and Tom Waits, but I try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a book out if you want to know about junkiedom and abuse and trauma and see because I don't like the self help books, Mike. I don't like them. I don't like recommend. I've never read a self help book other than uh, how to influence, how to make friends and influence people by Norman whatever the guy's name is. But I always read biographies of people that I love and find interesting that I know have been on an interesting journey. And more and more, you're seeing people use the real clinical references. Ricky yeah. Lee Jones released her autobiography this year. It's called Chronicles of an American Troubadour, The Last Chance Texaco, which is one of her greatest songs. 
And, and in it, she talks about being abused by her father, being in child protective services, running away, stealing cars. This is by the time she's 14, Mike. Wow. 14, living yeah, in Phoenix, great. Arizona. And I'm just now, I'm on page 232, where she meets Tom and Chucky Weiss on the same day. And what a life-changing thing meeting those two guys are. I yeah. wonder how Tom's dealing with the death of Chucky. I mean, they were friends for probably 55 years. Yeah, a long time. A long time. So anyways, and, uh, and I, I just, if you want to know about, about if, if, people, if people early in recovery want to know how you recover, read an autobiography of Duff McKagan or of Lurky Lee Jones or of, of you know, Nikki Six or, or Slash or Anthony Kiedis. All the people that have survived tell their story. And what's interesting, I've read all those books, very similar stories childhood you know kind of the description of uh early childhood hyperactivity or daydreaming or adhd you see it described in every book that yeah. what they perceive their childhood to be what they were like as children then some sort of abuse or neglect or divorce and then all hell breaks loose the introduction to drugs criminality um, and, and then somehow this wild fun journey on in that, right. This yeah. wild fun journey that all musicians and actors and ne'er-do-wells and beat poets, and it's all the same. You get, you get early, early childhood. I was a Martian, same as an AA pitch. I felt like right. a Martian. I was abused. I was neglected. I, my parents got a divorce. I was on my own. I got introduced to drugs and alcohol. This wild and crazy, fun and sad life starts to just unfold. In, in sometimes it goes on for decades. Sometimes it goes on for months and year, a couple of few years. And then this hit a roadblock with drugs and alcohol, get sober, how difficult it is to get and stay sober. And then this transcendence, the fourth dimension, sobriety, living life on life's terms. It's the same in every book. And I don't see how these people could have coordinated everything to be the same. Yeah. So human beings have the same kind of general story. The problem nowadays is there's no fun. There's no wild, crazy, sad, and beautiful ride that well, Ricky Lee Jones has, that Tom Waits has, that, that Anthony had. It's just darkness and rehabs and drugs and friends dying, and there's no fun. I mean, I, like, I wouldn't have kept taking drugs for so long if it wasn't fun. I, you know what I mean? It was fun. Yeah. And it, well, and it was this community of chaos that, that I grew up in and that I loved, that you were a part of, too. That, there's no community of chaos and fun going on in our society. There's not everybody seems to be being kept inside you know it's it's uh it's it's almost like this pre-planned to me it's this pre-planned sort of you know keep everybody inside keep them by their tv keep them tuned in keep them tuned in on social yeah, media more, keep them, uh, you know. 
Yeah, but I'm talking about parents not letting their children go live their own lives. Too. My daughter's out. My daughter's out recording her first uh, album. Oh my god, she's only where at? yeah, she's only seventeen. Where and, at? Well, she's recording it with her cousin Audrey Showback, and the band is called Showback. And Audrey and her write the songs, and they are recording in uh, Orange County at Pot of Gold, a great studio oh with David Irish um how cool is that is uh and uh yeah it's and johnny two bags plays on it and uh it's it's yeah it's really fun for her and she's doing really good she's writing her own songs and she's out there she's doing it what is the guy that she liked so much that you went to the roxy and saw De what was that song declan declan mckenna she likes she likes the garden she loves the garden which is an orange county band duo band uh, there's basically. a band there's a guy called suburban have you ever heard of this guy? Yes. He's playing at the uh, Elvis wants to go to the what constellation room. Where is that? Uh, I'm not sure. Is it? That's the. Um, is that the old observatory? Observatory. Yeah. Oh, really? I think it's out of business, isn't it? No, there's a thing called the constellation room. Tickets are on sale. But uh, I'm nervous about know. indoor concerts. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, let this. him go. Let him gee, just go. No, I'm, too, I'm worried about me going on well, here. Wear your mask. <laughs> bu buck up and wear your mask and go and take your kid. And, you I know. feel way better Come outside. On. You're not going to die. I got to tell you. Nothing can kill you. Nothing can kill me, but something could hold me back for three weeks. Yeah. I really wonder what it feels like to have no You've been vaccinated. Uh, taste. Yeah, but you can still lose your sense of taste and smell. I wonder what it feels like. Well, you know, we got a four-month-old, Mike. It might be nice to have no sense of smell. There's some real poop yeah. going on around here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. And by the way, and we're mixing breast and, and formula right now. Formula smells awful. I don't yeah, know how yeah. those fucking kids drink it. What is it? Yeah. He spits it up on me and my arm just stinks. So, yeah, maybe to, uh, you know, I'm mostly focused on that to lose the sense of taste and smell. Part of me wants to lose it just for a day to see what it feels like. And then another part of me doesn't want the, the length. I'm hearing people yeah. being sick for like three weeks. I don't like that. I don't like the sound of that. I but like Bob, a week. Bob, if think about this me, in reality. You tell me terms, I'll be sick okay. for a week. I'll go for it. Okay. In reality terms, you could get in your car. And you could get into a car accident. You could get somebody could smash into you. A gas truck could roll over on top of you. Oh, I you know could, that. You know, you could suffer a heart attack. You could suffer. I mean, there's just so many ways. Brain and brain. And yeah, I mean, come on. I mean, OK, I'll be safe. I'll go. How out weird is it? How weird is it, Mike, that we know three people that died of brain aneurysms when that started happening? So it's it's uh, Dennis. Rick Elric, yeah, and Brendan Mullen, three punk rockers. Rick Elric had brain cancer. Oh, did he? Yeah, he died over a period of six months. Oh, okay. he, he found out, and boom, he was he was he was gone. So he it didn't it didn't happen overnight. No. How do you get brain cancer? I've never even heard of brain cancer. I don't know, man. He was a very very safe person. Never injected drugs. Never. You know, he wasn't, he, I mean, he wasn't what people uh, perceived him to be as this crazy nut. He drank, but. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I just think he, you know, he had, he was a great songwriter. 
I just got back from the meat house. What does that even mean? Did he work at like a sausage factory? I don't think he wrote that. Who wrote it? He that was a negative trend song, so I would think um, maybe Jay Lansford or somebody. What is and the, the meat house? What is the meat house? What is it an actual? Because uh, we when we were kids, me and Chris Hansen, the great Chris Hansen from Thelonious Monster, the, his parents and his brother worked for Hoffy Hot Dog in downtown LA. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, Dim Dim Wanker probably was was he in? Uh, not Jalen. I was thinking of Templeton. Dim Wanker was the um, guitar player for Negative. But Meat House, but Meat House is a Rick L. Rick song on Beach Boulevard. It's not Negative Trend. It's Rick L. Rick. I don't think it's written by him though. Oh, so anyways, I'm I'm not entirely sure. I'm not. It doesn't matter. What matters is where is the Meat House? What are they talking about in that song? I don't know. Maybe you know Wilmington, or maybe it's. How uh, can you? There's so many things about early punk rock that I never have gotten answers to. Here's another one. Is the song, is the record store Amoeba named after the adolescent song Amoeba? No one's ever answered that to me. Oh, I don't you know. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good question. Sure. Amoeba, 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 Amoeba. Yeah. Right? And yep. then there's all of a sudden this record store pops up and, and the original one was in Berkeley. It's a punk rock record store. Is that and you know? Then it becomes Amoeba on the Haight Ashbury. Then it comes to L.A. and now it's moved to some mall in Hollywood Boulevard or something. But but is Amoeba named after the song by the adolescents Amoeba? I've always wanted to know that. No one has ever answered that. What does PIP mean? What does PIP mean? Oh, no. What are the initials stand for? What, where is the meat house? What is the meat house that the guy in the song just gets back from? What is the meat house? Is it because I, through the years, I thought, oh, it's a house of prostitution. Oh, it's a factory that a meat factory in, in La Placenta or something, a placenta, uh, uh, some, you know, horrible town in Orange County where you work, you know, stuffing sausages. There's a lot, of, a lot of stuff I want to know still. I'm 60 years old. I still don't know those three things. What is P-I-P? Well, there's actually, there's actually a thing right here. It says, how did Amoeba Music got its name? Yeah. It said, we wanted to name our company something, something music. The word Amoeba came up because it sounded good with music. We just wanted it to be psychedelic kind of name that students would relate to. It started how does Amoeba have anything to do with music? Um, I don't know. Other than the song Amoeba by 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 adolescents. Well, Amoeba's split in two, and we've all done that with our most, you know, so I don't know. Yeah, it's a metaphor for music. Apparently. No, it's I don't believe that. That's they well, liked that's the a song thing. when they were kids and they named their record store after. Yeah, Why can't they Berkeley. just say that? What do you know? What do you expect? Okay. Then what is PIP? Can you figure out what the initials PIP stand for? Uh, let me see. PIP. How come you don't come PIP with me? I don't know. Is it hanging out? Is it sexual in nature? What is that? Is it drugs? It might be drugs. There's a lot of like initials and performance. And, uh, uh, let me see. What does it sound? Perform with me? Why don't you come? Improvement project. <laughs> That's not <laughs> it. What does PIP slang for? Peen in pants. 
peeing in pants. Uh, peeing in pants? How come you don't come PIP with me? Pee in pants? <laughs> oh, no. I have no idea. That's good. Uh, you know, does, do, uh, am, are we just dinosaurs, Mike, that we love? Picture and really it all kinds of stuff. Pictures and pic picture and picture. Okay, here it is. PLP with me. Oh, it's not PIP. It's PLP. Oh. But on the on the lyrics, it says PIP. How come you don't come and PLP with me? Tom was just someone I saw passing. Now he might say hello. P I P L P with me. What does PLP mean? She doesn't uh, even say what it means. Product line uh, practice. <laughs> oh my God. What slang? Uh, and, uh, I don't know. Let me see. Personal learning plan. There's all kinds of other oh, slang. Yeah, yeah, but the fine. PLP. Now it says PLP. Liberation Party. No. Oh, wait. Personal leaning post? <laughs> oh, think. maybe. PLP with me. I initially thought it was a good song. Wait. <laughs> okay. Here's the story of Chucky's in Love. Okay. I found the part in the book. Um, the last hand sexico wasn't like anything I'd ever written. Blah 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 blah. blah. It remains an uh, ominous and beautiful, funny, deadly, serious last chance indeed. A week later, I returned to the cafe and wrote the lyrics to Chucky, Chucky's in Love. Same ritual, fresh page of new no notebook, mm -hmm. cup of coffee, and a cheap tip. The lyrics came in the afternoon. I again went home to find the melody. This one needed to be upbeat. I needed to write a song people would sing along with. It happened fast. The whole song came in one day. The clincher was the E. It was my brilliant stroke. I knew it was a clever twist. I never imagined an entire decade of E's would show up in people's names, even if Chucky Weiss, Chucky e. Cheese. She's saying this that Chucky e. Cheese. It's Chuck E. Cheese. That's because of the song Chuck E. Weiss. Wow. <laughs> oh, that's weird. Initially, she wrote it thinking it would be a good song for Bette Midler to sing. So I played it for Chuck and Tom. They did not try to help me place that song with Bette. Thank goodness I would find the exact place to. So, so she was trying no to idea. write a song for Bette, for Bette Midler. How crazy is that? Yeah. I don't know. You're That's getting away so, from your microphone or something. Oh, okay. No, I got my thing. Here it is. Anyway. So, what, um, so uh, I never knew that until I read the biographies and stuff that he played drums. He started out playing drums. Yeah, he's a drummer. He, he used that. to drum at the, at the Viper Room. Huh. He's a drummer. So Chucky e. Weiss lived a good long life. He's, he's older than you think. Right, seventy-nine so, years old when he died. Yeah, that's 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 up there, because most of the people we're talking about are only like ten years older than us. But Chucky right. was ten years older than them. Right, but he lived seventy-nine years. He battled cancer the last. Oh, I actually, se I'm sorry, seventy-six. My my seventy-six. Yeah, but he, but he battled cancer bravely. He had moved to a friend's house, and it seemed like it was the end. And then he moved back out and back to his house. And I was like, "Are you okay?" And he's like, "Doc, it seems like it. The doc tells me I'm doing all right." Yeah. So that's a. It's just he. You know, just you don't know what it's like to wake up in the morning and and you're gonna see Chucky e. Weiss walk by your house, and he wore and he like 
very short, short, short walking shoe pants. You know, he's from the seventies. <laughs> he was not. He was not wearing long shorts. <laughs> he's funny. not doing the Michael Jordan shorts. That's funny. But. It was so cool, and he's such. And a you had to have you had to have seen him to understand how he could just walk in, uh, walk on a stage, and turn the whole room into like a party. You know what I mean? And I mean, most times, his most antics time were so fun. Just that they played these word games with you, and they made up stories. I don't know him and Tom White, and there was another guy named Paul, and there was another guy named Louis Lista. They were all friends. They're like, and they were all storytellers. Louis Listy used to work at the comedy store on Sunset Boulevard and they all wore that old fashioned clothes and they were all storytelling kind of cool, crazy people. And you would see them just, I would watch them as a kid when I'm 19, 20, just watching them talk. You yeah. just knew you wanted to be a part of that world. Yeah. And I have a story actually about a coffee club meeting. One of my first, like in my early sobriety and stuff with Spider Middleman and uh fast freight and all those guys i think it was the hollywood strip group but uh it's the only meeting all, you ever went to mike how could they, it be how could all, it be any well, other no, meeting? I went, that's I the went only to, meeting you ever went to. no that's not true i went to the um i went to uh, the one the western wilcox and western all the time wilcox and western they yeah, don't the one way down there yeah anyways so they all sit down. They all sit down together, of course, right? And uh, Spider Middleman just lets out this big, you know, big fart, and and and, <laughs> and, 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 and immediately he looks over at, at Chucky Weiss like, "Oh my God, how could you?" And everybody looked at Chucky like, like he <laughs> it's just the way they joked around. That's just you know? the time. That's just the way that it was. And it was and really funny. Yeah. Chucky is kind of that's gone. I mean, he was one of the last people I still knew that lived in Hollywood because I, I lived there because I had a sober living there, but there was no one. Everyone we know used to live, you know, I always say between Western and La Brea and above Fountain and Franklin. Everybody lived in that area. He was the last one to live there. Yeah, right. he really was. Yeah. And um, he had this car. I remember... 20 years ago, I said, I, he was like all rushing someone. I said, where are you going? He goes, I'm going to the airport. I find I found my dream car uh, and uh, he was going to Denver. He had found a car, like a 1950s big car, that blue and white car that he drove forever. He had found it, had been kept in a garage in, in Denver, Colorado. And he was buying it. It was, it was like, it wasn't redone to be perfect. It was perfect from 1958 or whatever. And he was go flying to Denver to get his car and drive it back here. And what do you, just, what, I, do you what do you think that is that that like in the Hollywood scene in those days, you know, you you would be a punk rocker, but you could go see uh, Jimmy Wood and the Immortals or you could go see like um, Chucky White, you know, Chucky White and the Goddamn Liars. And it would be all the same punks and the people that all knew each other and stuff like that. It was all intermingled. Well, that, yeah, Freddy people. Decisions. It, well, it was, it was all people. It wasn't, I liked all kinds of music, but there was this there were groups of fans, I would say, not musicians, but fans that only liked one group of music. But when I got to Hollywood, I got to say. Keith Morris was an amazing leader of liking everything that was good. Yep, exactly. 
Keith Morris loved Los Lobos. Me and him, when I was 20 years old, I used to drive Keith. He'd go to go see Los Lobos in East LA and in Santa Monica. We would just go see Los Lobos anytime they played. And here's the guy in Black Flag going to see Los Lobos. And if you look at Brendan Mullen, another one, Brendan, I bumped into him one day and he was like, you know, we got to go see Neil Young. I got got tickets. You can come with me, Bobby. And I was like, okay. And so it was like four in the afternoon. I drove him around wherever he needed to go. And then we went to the Greek theater and saw, uh, you know, Neil Young. And this is the guy who founded the mask. This is the guy who invented the germs. And he's going to see Neil Young. So there was just, there were no boundaries for the people that that were the leaders of Hollywood. They just loved music. Mm-hmm. And it was the audience that was like, I only like Circle Jerks and Black Flag and I got a mohawk and then I only like blasters and I got a rockabilly haircut and I only like this. But the musicians themselves kind of led the way. I mean, that's one of the reasons why me and Norwood and Fishbone bonded. Long before I lived on Fountain, I lived up on, uh, up on uh, Argyle just below the freeway. And Norwood and Kendall came over to my house. It wasn't a house. It was a room about 10 by 10. And I had all my records from when I was a kid. And they went through my records like everybody did. If you had stacks of records, people come over to your house, they go through the records. I had so many Funkadelic and George Clinton records. And Norwood said that day, and we were, this is 1983. You're the first white person I've ever known that's had this many Funkadelic records. (laughs) (laughs) and and the reason why i knew funkadelic they were on don kirshner's rock concert or burt sugarman's midnight uh uh, midnight special with wolfman jack and i saw them and i was like this is fucking amazing and then when i went to the record store this is probably 77 76 i went to the record store you could get funkadelic maggot brain for 29 cents of course i'm gonna buy it i just saw that band on tv yeah. And so the first Funkadelic record I bought was Maggot Brain. There's no difference between Maggot Brain and, and rock and roll music. Yeah. It's fucking rock and roll music. So the uh, yeah. musicians and a certain select group of people that were really kind of, you know, fanatics about music and records, had those very, people didn't care. Those people yeah. didn't care about genres. They had a very but, eclectic, broad sort of spectrum. Yeah. Blasters, and, and, X, you know. And everybody or, had their things they like more. I like singer-songwriter, girl singer-songwriter music more than probably anything. I like Joan Armatrading. I like Tracy Chapman. I like Ricky Lee Jones. Like, that's my thing. If you're going to talk about girl singer-songwriters, Linda Ronstadt, Emmy Lou Harris, that's that's the thing that I probably like most of all. And Fast Freddy liked that 40s big band rock and roll, yeah. shake, rattle and roll stuff, Big Joe Turner. But he also had Funkadelic records and he also had X and Blasters records. And he also, you know what I mean? But yep. you have the thing that you like probably that you listen to the most. And I would say in my lifetime, though I'm sitting here, here's the records that are on the fronts of my stacks right now. I got Jay-Z the black album i got laurie anderson's united states of america i got bob marley exodus i got frank marino and mahogany rush live mike oh my frank God. marino and mahogany rush 
<laughs> I got X more fun in the new world. And I got the best of the love and spoonful. And, and I've got Elton John, Captain Fantastic. But when I'm in here in my record room, I'm, I listen to, you know, singer songwriters. I listen to Jackson Brown. I listen to Elvis Costello. I listen to, that's my thing. It's songwriting and singer songwriter and particularly female singer songwriters. I love, right. Yeah. But I can put some Frank Marino on and Keith Morris is the person who taught me that. Don't be ashamed, Bob. If you like Frank Marino, you should not. If you like head East, you should fucking like head East. That's the truth of it. <laughs> Don't fucking let these punkers tell you what you like. That was Keith's mantra. You know what I mean? Does everybody do a Keith Morris? <laughs> yeah, everybody does. Everybody, everybody does. I know can do a John Fashanti imitation and a Keith Morris imitation. Yeah, right. it's pretty. Sweet, those two. <laughs> Let's wrap up by by talking about the Ohana Fest coming up, and we are on the storyteller stage. Um, yeah, that'll be fun. We'll do a live again. Don't we don't know our, our slot yet, but we are going to do a live. Don't die. We want to start yeah, maybe that you know so what I'm thinking. I don't, yeah, well, yeah, you sound like a PR firm. I, Whatever. I don't we're gonna have that. the RV down there, and I don't know where it's parked, but maybe you and I should play acoustic guitars out by the RV and the RV. Fuck, park. Why not? Yeah, let's do it, man. That that's I what I was thinking. String I need to play because we can't play music at the serious spoken word place, but we could. So the RV will be out there. Everybody will, uh, you know. Find the RV park and me and Mike will be out there and we'll okay. play some songs. So that's what Part, I plan on. Party at the R at Bob Forrest RV. There'll be a giant rainbow flag. <laughs> yeah, we'll, uh, be. <laughs> we'll put it yeah. up and uh, we'll, put, we'll put up the don't die rainbow flag. Right we got to make a don't RV. die rainbow flag. That'd be all so awesome. We got to get that. All right. So everybody, if you can, um, when somebody dies, you don't just go, Oh, Oh, I'm, you know, Chucky Weiss died. Oh, let's have a memorial. No, listen to his music. Go try to find an interview on YouTube with Chucky Weiss. The way he used language and talked and story told, you just, the guy was amazing human that they're not going to make another one like him. I, yeah. I just, I just can't tell you enough. If you like Tom Waits, if you like Ricky Lee Jones, you need to go seek out and know what me and Mike are trying to convey, and we're not doing a very good job of how alive this human being was. Yeah, how try and funny find the, and the EP, The Other Side of Town, he released it, was his first one, is in 19, it was in 81, I think it came out. Pretty cool stuff. Yeah, it's mostly him, though. Go to YouTube and find him. You, you, just did you see that YouTube video of him doing so long, or he just he doesn't. It's just his music, and he's just waving, and he's trying to smoke a cigarette and light it, and wave <laughs> at the same time. Every time it says "so long," he waves. It's so funny. <laughs> well, he would. It's that he epitomizes would, Chuck. E. Sometimes because he was at the Viper Room almost every night because he yeah. was part owner of it. And when I would get there, like say I'd get there at like nine thirty. He would be at the top of the stairs and he would be just like, and he's a sober guy. And he'd be just like, he'd see this hurricane coming up the fucking staircase, ready to just, you know, set himself on fire. And Chuck would be like, hey, Bubba, what you going to get into tonight? What trouble are you going to get into tonight? And I'd be like, Chuck, get out of my way. Where's the bar? 
Where's the <laughs> bar, little man? Get out of my way. <laughs> and he, he would say, what trouble are you going to get into tonight, Bubba? Nice. And not, con- not condemning me, not criticizing, not telling me how he felt, how my drinking made him feel. Mike, <laughs> he's just like, what kind of trouble are you going to get into tonight, Bubba? You know, that, that. <laughs> dude, that old school, do it until you stop, man. Do it until you're sick of it and then just stop. <laughs> One time didn't say to me when I was so hungover. So it was like we had a, because uh, I kind of worked at the Viper and we had a staff meeting at like 1.30 in the afternoon. And I was like, couldn't even see straight. And he was sitting there having a little coffee. And he said, Bubba, do you ever think about stopping drinking? <laughs> see, like, see, he wasn't no, Chuck. No, Chuck. Cool. I never think about stopping drinking. <laughs> <laughs> but look, but look who did, man. Yeah. All hey, right. Man. Have a good day. Chuck yeah, Weisel forever. Okay. Love you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.